Support for Market Foolery comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, work with one that has your best interests in mind. Use Rocket Mortgage for a transparent, trustworthy home loan process that's completely online at quickenloans.com/fool. It's Tuesday, April 25th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio. Matt Argus Singer. Thanks for being here. Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, Jason mentioned this yesterday. Just how many companies that are on the million dollar portfolio, either the the watch list or actually in the portfolio that are reporting earnings. So I always appreciate when you're in the studio, <laughs> but I, I particularly appreciate it this week because I know how busy it is. Oh, well, thank you. And you know, a lot of companies reporting earnings today, but I think we kind of have to start with. The market in general. You got the Nasdaq hitting six thousand, which, of course, is making headlines because it's a big round number. But how about this for a list of companies: Home Depot, Lowe's, McDonald's, Deer, Honeywell, United Health, 3M, Mastercard, PayPal, Adobe, Electronic Arts, <laughs> Activision Blizzard, Microsoft, Alphabet, and Facebook. They are all, all of them, hitting all-time highs today. That's pretty much. Everything. That's <laughs> I think. Yeah, that's not a well. It's tech. No, no, it's healthcare. It's home improvement. It's restaurants. It's across big, the board. It's across the board. And I'm wondering how problematic is this for someone in your position whose job it is to go out and look for companies that have. I mean, we talk about upside, and yes. These companies are hitting all times high today, and and let's just go ahead and stipulate that all of them will f- will go up from here. Which means this is not the only all time high they're going to no, hit. No, shouldn't be. But for someone in your position, I, I, I don't know. This this seems like a little bit of a problem. Well, you feel two ways about it, right? One way you're saying, "Oh, this is great. You're you're an investor. You, we like equity. This is why we invest. This is why we invest. We invest for companies to hit all time highs. We invest for the stock market as a whole to hit an all time high. We invest for the Nasdaq 6,000, and 7,000, and 8,000, and beyond. The other part of me, though, is uh, I'm an analyst and I'm an equity analyst, and I, I'm constantly looking for those excess returns. And if everything's going up, and if everything's hitting all-time highs, it gets really hard. And and especially if you look at the overall market, we are using certain historical measures at really high valuations. And so it doesn't. You don't get excited when you look at companies, and we'll talk about one that I think is overvalued. But we we look at a lot of companies that you know maybe are going to grow revenue in the single-digit range, which is fine. Uh, but they're they're trading at. 20, 25, 30 times earnings multiples. And it's just hard to get excited about companies like that. And so, um, the other thing I think that's working, and we, we've talked about this on the show, I think, about how the move, the, the really big sort of secular shift that we've seen towards passive investing, ETFs, um, what that's done is that's just sent a lot of money uh, to very broad uh, indexes in the market that are essentially just. Because capital is coming in, they have to keep buying, and so I'm not surprised that a lot of the blue chip companies you named out that are hitting all time highs, and that's sometimes a function of the fact that money just is coming into the market. It's coming into these passive strategies. It's coming in through people's 401ks, all various sources. And so until that changes, until there's some kind of major dislocation in the market that changes that or changes people's perception, 
Oh man, uh, you know it's 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 very hard to keep up with uh, with all these companies. Do you think that I mean some of the companies we just went through, particularly Facebook, Alphabet, Microsoft. I mean those are three of the five or six biggest companies in the public market. Do you think that as these stocks rise, as the big get bigger? Does that increase the likelihood of buyouts of smaller companies? If you're Facebook or if you're MasterCard, are you taking your all-time high stock and putting it to use in the form of just buying out smaller competition? Not necessarily competition, but just sort of like, you know what? We can use our all-time high stock to go out sure. and buy that company over there. I think that's a great point because when you're when when if you're a capital allocator, and and I hope all CEOs. That's what a CEO is in, in at its at his or her core is a good capital allocator. And I would, as a capital allocator, if I saw my stock trading at what I thought was a very very lofty valuation, <laughs> I, I what I you know I, I wouldn't be buying back my stock. I would absolutely be either even even issuing stock if that was maybe the, the cheapest form of capital, or yet, like you said, I would I would be looking at uh, competitors out there and saying, well, wow, if I if I can use my uh, my equity is a cheap form of, of capital uh, and buying power. I can go buy out a competitor. And the big, the, the big getting bigger is is a, is a great point as well. I mean, I think if you look at Facebook, Alphabet too, um, just the amount of capital that these companies can put to work, it makes it very hard. I, I think as as big as Snapchat is already, Facebook can go in there and and pour a billion dollars. I mean, and Amazon is another example of a company that's pouring something like three billion dollars in India. Whereas Flipkart is a company that's been operating in India for a long time and is, is, you know, for over a decade now, and and Amazon could go in there right there in a few years and probably knock them out of the market just because of their sheer size and their access to capital. So the big getting bigger is a pretty interesting theme to watch. Well, let's talk about one company that's helping to push the market up today. Certainly pushing up the Dow because Caterpillar is one of the Dow 30 stocks. Caterpillar's first quarter report was. Fantastic! Their profit—they didn't just beat. This is not a beat by a penny situation. Their profits came in more than double what Wall Street was expecting. Their overall revenue was solidly higher. They raised guidance for the full fiscal year, and the stock—I mean, this is one of those tried and true, steady blue chip performers. Their stock's up nearly seven percent this morning. That's—I mean, I get this. This was a great quarter, but I'm assuming this is what you were referring to when you were like, "Wow, seven percent." That seems. Lofty yes. for a company like Caterpillar. Well, it does, and the earnings picture looks great for them. And that's, but that's because Caterpillar, like a lot of companies, has has been doing a lot of restructuring lately. And so, if you look at Caterpillar, for example, they've they've had restructuring charges every quarter going back to the end of 2012. And just last year, they had about 700 million dollars of restructuring costs. And this is just them shuttering old facilities, uh, moving a plant somewhere else, or um, you know, shifting capital to one segment to the other and, and shutting down operations. But And that whole problem they had in China. And that whole problem they had in China. <laughs> the problem with me, though, is when I see a company that restructures this often, I, I don't believe management when management comes out and says, well, these are one-time expenses that we're sort of taking out of our earnings. And so, here's what our earnings, here's our organic or you know, our real earnings. And I, that, that makes me very uncomfortable. And so, I, with a company like Caterpillar that's doing that, I tend to count those charges, and if you do, the earnings picture doesn't look nearly as good. And then, if you just look at revenue growth overall, it's up four percent. And I mean, I know they're having—they saw some strength in the resource business, in the energy transportation business, and that those those segments have really struggled over the last few years with commodity prices and oil prices. But 
the fact that those are bouncing back is a good part of the story. I would just say, be very careful of Caterpillar. And we talked about lofty valuations. You have a company that, yes, grew, growing revenue at four percent, gave great guidance for this coming year. But is this a company that should trade at 32 times earnings? And those earnings, by the way, are the adjusted earnings. They're already restructuring more this year, and they're taking those out of their their guidance. I didn't realize. So, I didn't realize the multiple was, was that 32 high. times. And so that and that that to me is just I I, I think Caterpillar is a great company. It's a, it's an industry bellwether. It's very diversified and. But I'm not. I'm not paying that multiple for a company like this. Well, and you you hit on a key word there, which I think is part of just a small sliver of the enthusiasm that we're seeing today, and that's bellwether. I think any time Caterpillar's on that short list of large companies that when they do well, uh, it's like a Rorschach test, <laughs> but a Rorschach test where every institutional investor sees something positive. When Caterpillar puts up a really good quarter. I think you have a lot of people on Wall Street saying, "Oh, well, then this means great thing for housing. Oh, yeah. This means great things for infrastructure. This, you know, energy's great. Yeah. yeah, it's mining's coming back. Yeah, all those things. You're right." Before we get to our next story, I got to say thanks to Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust and has your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence. To make an informed decision, don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. Didn't we just get done with paperwork with taxes? Oh, Paperwork's the worst. It is. It is the absolute worst. It's and amazing with, that this day and age, we, there are still so many forms to fill out everywhere. Yes, it never Absol- stops. Absolutely. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial information and get a mortgage approval in minutes without the paperwork. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time and make sure you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So, if you're looking to buy a home or you're looking to refinance your mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. So, skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com/fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. I know we talked about Netflix yesterday raising a billion dollars in financing, but they are back in the news today. Uh, Netflix has struck a deal in China with iQIYI, which is one of the leading video streaming platforms. It is a subsidiary of Baidu, and we see the stock up a couple percent. And I, this is going to be interesting to see where this deal goes from here, because Netflix has been trying for a long time to get into China. They're not the first U.S. company that's tried to do business they won't in China, be the last. and they won't be the last. And they've they've decided to go this route, which I think is a smart deal. It's a licensing deal. It's one of the biggest platforms um, as of late last year. iQIYI had. 480 million monthly active users. So, in terms of getting Netflix original content in front of a very large and new audience, this you know we don't know what the terms of the deal are, but just in terms of the audience, it seems like a win. I agree. I think it's a win for both. So Netflix, as you hinted at, I mean we just just had it's been an enormous challenge to try to get into China directly, and and in fact, in I think October they kind of gave up. Uh, Reed Hastings on the conference call said, "You know, we just we've sort of run into a you know a buzzsaw trying to get into China, and so we're going to instead pursue maybe some deals, some joint ventures, licensing deals, and this is the first major one. and And I like the deal because for IGE, um, 
they've shifted. They they were kind of called the YouTube of China for a long time, um, and they have they have a lot of free content. But they did shift to a subscription model. Uh, I think last year, maybe the year before, and they've slowly grown that business. But what they've struggled with is is content. They they you know they've they've had to pay a lot to, for content, and so with the deal with Netflix, you know you bring in a lot of Created content because I'm sure the Chinese government's going to have a lot to say about what kind of content right. Netflix is able to get into IGE's platform. But at least for IGE, it gives them great content. For Netflix, it gets them that foothold in China. And you know, if 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 Chinese if Chinese consumers like a lot of the Netflix content, it sort of opens the path for them to get more and more content in. And I think eventually you could see maybe Netflix saying, "Well, if this really works, if it's working, maybe we'll do a joint venture with IGE where you know they're." We're doing. We're supplying a lot of the content. They're handling all the the distribution, and we're kind of splitting the subscription revenue fifty fifty or something like that. So, if you're, it, it's a bit of a long game. I think Netflix is playing, but if you're a shareholder, I think it's a very positive move. It's it's the foothold you've been looking for, and it won't be. I don't think it'll be that accretive to revenue. I think Netflix has said that you know these licensing deals don't really um, aren't, aren't going to bring a, bring a big uptake to revenue, but down the road lead to big things. I, I, I want to hit on a couple of points here. One, before I forget, you had mentioned uh, the content in China and what's going to be allowed and what's not. I think it, it certainly works in Netflix's favor that they have a pretty large portfolio of original content. They're not. This is not four or five years ago where they basically had a couple of shows and right. that's it. They've got a lot of original content. And so they, and we'll find out in the coming weeks and months what exactly is the content that's going to be available in China because it's not going to be everything. No. And and um, you know we know that there are uh, movies that are made in the U.S. that are altered to be shown in China. They are edited in some ways, um, and and we also know that there are directors in Hollywood. Quentin Tarantino is one who comes to mind. I don't think any of his movies have ever been shown in China because he's just said, "I'm not changing my movies. Yeah, you know, I'm no. not. I'm not going to edit them. For, you know, for for the Chinese government or any government. So, so that's that. Um, I, I, you know, you're right. It's not going to be accretive to revenue. I think it does probably help them down the line when they are making a pitch to content creators. Robert Roy, who's the the VP of Content acquisition. I mean, he's he's the guy at Netflix who's in charge of going out to content content creators. And we've talked before about how, if you're a content creator right now, it's it's your market. It's a seller's market. You get to because you've got Amazon, you've got Hulu, you've, you've got bidders, basically. you've got bidders, you've yeah. got YouTube. You know all and and obviously Netflix. And I think if you're Robert Roy at Netflix now, you get to go to content creators and say, oh, and by the way. We can get you in front of an audience in China in a way that you know some of these others can't. Right, and it's an audience that's about 1.4 billion people right. large, and so very compelling. Yeah, and I think uh, you know it, you're right, exactly right. If it if they can sort of they they now have the access. Now it's a matter of well, now we can make movies that we're 95 percent sure that will get into China, as opposed to saying okay, what do we have that we can either alter or edit or you know. But it, it's it's a great point. Um, one of the things uh, we were talking about earlier this morning, you, you read these stories uh, about this deal, and you start to gain some insight uh, into just how competitive the video streaming industry is in China. Because this, I mean, IGE is Baidu's subsidiary. 
Alibaba's got their subsidiary. Right. Tencent has Tencent. Like you, just like we've got the Clash of the Titans here in the U.S., that's absolutely playing out in China. It is, and China's an interesting case, too, because unlike the U.S., there really wasn't this linear TV market that we've had in the U.S. for decades. I mean, in China, they were so quick to really move directly towards streaming on my computer or on my mobile phone and my tablet. And so, uh, it's amazing to see, unlike us, where we have still the cable networks and things like that, no, these are the players in China. And they've already grabbed significant right. you know, turf. And so, uh, it's going to be a clash of the titans. And I think IHEE, Netflix deal, it's a big bit of a leg up for them this today. Are you watching anything on Netflix right now? Are you binging anything? I, you know, um, I, we just finished. Uh, my wife and I just finished watching the Daredevil, the two seasons of Daredevil. Yes. Which and and I have to say, as a Mar- I'm a Marvel comics fan, the movies have been great. Netflix has done a great job with a lot of those Marvel properties, like Daredevil, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and yes. so um, I, I I'm, I'm liking that universe right now. I'm about halfway through Luke Cage and uh, very much enjoying it, although. Um, our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, was was telling. He's he's a fan of the Marvel series on Netflix. Um, he was pretty. Dan, can you can you jump on Mike and just share a word or two about because um, for those unfamiliar, um, there's the Marvel universe in the theaters, Iron Man, Thor, right. Hulk, etc. Um, and then on Netflix, you've got Daredevil, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and the the most recent one is Iron Fist. Yeah, haven't watched that one yet. I haven't watched that. Dan, you've watched Iron Fist. Uh, you've watched the others. I know you're a big fan of Luke Cage, big fan of Jessica Jones. Iron Fist, I'm getting the sense, not quite up to snuff. I uh, unfortunately have had the extreme displeasure of watching <laughs> oh. all, what, 12 episodes of that pile of dreck. Oh, wow. <laughs> Um, at any point, did you like maybe like episode three? Did you think I don't think this is getting any better, and I'm going to stop? Or did you like why'd you why'd you keep going? Well, probably the sunk cost fallacy. <laughs> I, gave it, I gave it about uh, four or five episodes to uh, see if I was enjoying it, and I wasn't. And I'm kind of a completionist, so I was like, you know what, we're just going to get this done as quick through. as I can. Did you switch over into hate watch mode? Have you ever hate watched a show? No, I don't. I don't think that that's a good idea for anybody's psyche. So no. It, but uh, listeners, real quick, never watch the show. It's bad. Finn Jones is terrible. He's laughably awful in the role. And I don't know what they were thinking about why would you, you know, make this show in 2017. But they went ahead and did, and it's garbage. Hot, hot garbage. So. Uh, you've heard it here from Dan Boyd. Netflix, when it comes to the Marvel series, they're batting seven fifty. Yeah, three the three out of four. Yeah, they got three out of four, which is you know Let's hope that, the next one's that's better. pretty good. Well, I don't want to count the first season of Daredevil as wow. A oh, really? I thought the second season I was liked better. Vincent right? D'Onofrio a whole lot in that, but that was really the only good part. Mm. At least there was that good part. Yeah. Okay. That's that's. In a sense that Dan likes bad guys a lot, like the Kingpin. What did you think of Punisher? Punisher was good. I thought the guy who played Punisher was pretty well, good. Well, John Bernthal is a Washington, D.C. native. Oh, of course. And a big fan of D.C. sports teams, so he's pretty much my best friend. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right, Matt Argusinger, thanks so much for being here. I'll let you get back to work. All right, thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.